God gives to me and I release it to somebody else. And it's a predetermined choice. That's why it's a discipline. And what you're saying is, I'm going to trust God for things I previously trusted my money for. You see, money lies to you. I will give you happiness. I will give you security. I will give you significance. Those are things only God can give. So the greatest competition God has for your heart is not the devil. The greatest competition God has for your heart is your money. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. I've heard it said that the Germans have a saying that goes something like this. The main thing is that the main thing remain the main thing. Well, last week we heard Pastor Trent say something similar. My thing is to keep the one thing, thing one. He reminded us that the Apostle Paul's one thing had to do with the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said in Philippians 3 verses 13 and 14, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So whatever last year looked like for you, it's behind you now. And the start of a new year is a great time to examine priorities and set some goals for working toward your one thing. Here's Pastor Trent. So here's the third thing that we're going to look at. I will prize upward spiritual progress enough to exercise spiritual disciplines. Look at verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God is calling us today to what lies ahead. God is calling us up. God is calling us to spiritual progress. It's a prize. It's a treasure. But the only way we're going to reach the goal, the only way we're going to get the prize is through exercising spiritual disciplines. Now, I took a great risk putting this particular point together because I used two of the most hated words in the English language. Exercise, who's with me on that? You hate that word. You just hate that word. I just don't even like to hear that. It just brings such guilt. I didn't come to church to feel guilty. And the other word is discipline. See, you guys know this, right? I hate discipline. Here's my working definition of a discipline. Discipline is something you know you should do, but you hate to do. Right? It's kind of like eating your vegetables, right? But many of you know that things that start as a discipline end up becoming an enjoyment. Think about it. Let's use the whole idea of diet and exercise. I mean, some of you are runners. When you first started running, how'd that go? Painful, hurt, like I'm going to die. But you got up the next day and you went. And some of you now love to run. You're crazy people, but you love to run. The only people that are crazier than the runners are the cyclists, right? And the evidence that they're crazy is because have you seen what they wear when they're doing this? I mean, 
And they travel in groups. And the reason they have to travel in groups is because you would not want to show up dressed like that when you're alone. So, you know, people, anyway, I don't know where I'm going with that. Anyway, running, cycling, other, other people, like how many of you when you were a kid, your mama made you learn to play an instrument? She made you. Maybe she bribed you, but she made you play that instrument. Some of you, piano or guitar, or some unfortunate people, you know, you got the clarinet or tuba or whatever you got, but it turned into something you enjoy. And like even today, you enjoy playing that. What begins as a discipline becomes an obsession or even an enjoyment or a love. And when you're talking about spiritual disciplines, what, what we're talking about, the reason we hate it so much is it's a delayed gratification. What we mean by that is this. Because I want to love something later, I have to hate something now, right? Doing what I don't want to do now will give me the ability to do something that I love later, right? That's what a discipline is. And it can turn, it can morph into something that we actually love. So we're going to talk about five spiritual disciplines. Now, I don't know where the list came from. These are just things that that I've observed from you. The people that make spiritual progress are people who embrace spiritual disciplines. But let me say something about spiritual disciplines, okay? Spiritual disciplines must never become a substitute for genuine worship. Churches, denominations, people get into trouble when they try to measure their spirituality based on their discipline. Discipline must flow from the promise of future delight. If disciplines flow from a sense of duty, it becomes legalistic, hard-hearted, religious formulas, and there's a group of people in the Bible called the Pharisees that had great spiritual discipline. Thank you for that. Thank you. Well played. Thank you. Um, We don't like the Pharisees around here. Don't be a Pharisee. Pharisees were great at discipline. They were horrible at delight. There there is a sense of duty and obligation. We come to Jesus Christ. I'm an unwilling servant of Jesus Christ. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. That should be our hard attitude. But it comes, it flows from a heart of delight and worship. And if the delight is gone... There's a sense in which if I start to begin to discipline myself, the delight will return, but I should never do this out of a sense of duty. Now, here's the reason why disciplines are so necessary. Because some of you are going to look at them like, ah, I don't need those. I'm, I, I feel God. I don't do anything. I just feel God. You know, like, no, you're a spiritual donut hole is what you are. And what you need to do is demonstrate that you feel the delight in God so much that you want it to grow. You want to delight. You want to seek after these things. Here's the reason why spiritual disciplines are so important. We move away from the Lord in small, imperceptible drifts. Nobody goes to church on Sunday, sings their face off in worship, gives in the offering, prays prayers, confesses sin, encourages other people, and you, you, just, you sense the glory of God in your life. It's like, I've just never been so close to God. Nobody wakes up the next day and hates God and cusses him out. But you will wake up the next day and you'll back up on what you told God on Sunday. 
you'll begin to doubt God. You'll begin to give in to temptation, a small one. You'll begin to believe a little lie. And pretty soon at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the year, at the end of the decade, you will wake up and you will realize, I am so far away from God. Some of you are there today. You used to be so close to God. You used to love to pray. You used to love to sing. You used to love to be in church. You used to love to give. You used to love to serve. Small, imperceptible drifts is what got you on that island you're on this morning. Here's the good news. We move toward the Lord in big intentional shifts. We make a decision. We make a choice. We turn our back on the things that we were pursuing and we, we sell out to God. You can do that today no matter what how far away you are from the Lord, you can be right back with him in an instant if you will repent, if you will trust, and if you will pursue and seek God with all your heart this morning. You can be so close to him right now. And the spiritual disciplines are the evidence that I am making a huge intentional shift in my life. These are not easy. These require effort, straining, pressing forward. That's what it's all about. So can I share with you these five things? Here they are. Number one, practical Bible application. James chapter one, verse 22 says this, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Do you want to be blessed? You want to make some spiritual progress? You want God to do some stuff in you, for you, and through you this year? Then you need to establish the spiritual discipline of practical Bible application. In the scripture, it says the Bible is like a mirror. I would venture to say that everybody in this room this morning used a mirror before you came to church. The reason I know that is because you look so much better than you did when you woke up. <laughs> How many of you would say your spouse looks better than they did the first time you saw them? And it all hinged it all hinged when they took a look in the mirror and got an accurate picture of the condition of their face and their hair, right? And there were some of you that spent hours and multiplied hundreds of dollars to make the transformation in the last couple of hours to the beautiful picture that we see. And I'd just like to say I'm very grateful. Thank you uh, for doing that, all right? But what if, what if you, what if you woke up in the morning, looked at the mirror, like, <laughs> just jumped in the car and came to church? Something like, ooh, ooh, that's painful, right? Do you know that so many people looked in a mirror this morning, but they refused to look into God's word to see what kind of spiritual ugliness was happening in their life? 
And the worst part is some of you actually did, but you forgot what you look like and you didn't do anything about it. That's ugly. That's painful. And we don't want a church like that. And you don't want to have a year like that. We want to have a year where God changes the ugliness into a thing of beauty. And he does it first by staring intently into the mirror of his word. And it's not enough. It's wonderful that you came on Sunday. So glad you came. And that's what we give our lives to around here. Open your Bibles. Let's look into it. And somebody practically explains it. But listen... When you come to church, you are getting a pre-digested meal. Yes, I spent about 15 hours preparing this 45-minute sermon so that we could look intently into this, right? But I can't do that for you every day, but you can. You may not have 15 hours, but you got 15 minutes. Some of you got 30 minutes. Some of you got an hour. Some of you could take 15 hours every week if you got serious about this discipline. Because the truth of the matter is, you spend 15 hours on stuff that doesn't matter, don't you, in a week? John Piper, one of the greatest John Piper quotes, and there are many, but this is what John Piper says. He says, God allows the existence of Twitter and Facebook for the purpose of proving to Christians that they did not lack time for prayer. Oh, did you hear the groans in the room? Did you hear the groaning? That was called spiritual conviction right there. God just settled in. And so what if we were to eliminate those things that don't matter and we did the one thing that does? How are you going to do that this year? How would you do last year at that? How many of you have ever read through the Bible? You've read all the Bible. Raise your hands, right? It took discipline to do that, didn't it? And it probably took a plan to do that. So um, you're going to need a plan if you're going to do this. Now, you don't have to do that. I've done that many times, and that's, that's profitable and that rich. But I'm at the point right now that if I was to take time to read all of that, I, for me, I, I read a verse, and I'm, I'm slain. After one verse, it's like, I just got to think about that for like an hour because I'm lame and I need to change. It's gonna, I got some work to do. So for some of you, you've read through the Bible. You know, now you just might need to take a, a chapter or a book and spend the whole year memorizing that thing and, and meditating on what are the practical implications for your life based on that. Don't go to fast. And so there's, there's different ways to do this. Just get in God's word and don't just be a hearer, but be a doer and you will make spiritual progress. Here's the second thing, private prayer. Matthew chapter six, right before Jesus gave his disciples what we call the Lord's prayer. This is what he said. When you pray, notice he did not say, if you pray, the expectation of a disciple is that you are a prayer. When you pray, go into your room. Older translations say closet. But that was confusing because back in the olden days, a closet was like um, 
the biggest room in the house. And so they change it to room, which is more appropriate for what we understand because it doesn't mean that you have to go get next to your smelly shoes in your closet. That's not what it means. It says, go into your room. It means a private place and shut the door. Shut out distractions and obstacles and pray to your father and talk like you're talking to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. Isn't that what you want? Do you remember that one thing, whatever it was that you said that now you would have changed your answer now that you know the sermon? Um, But God wants to give you that one thing. He wants to reward you. But all good gifts come through the avenue of prayer. How much would God do in our lives if we would simply pause long enough to ask Him? Private prayer. It's the second discipline. Here's the third thing, penetrating relationships. First John chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Doesn't that seem a little out of place? What would you expect it to say? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God. Wouldn't that, isn't that what you would expect it to say? But it doesn't say that. Walking in the light results in and requires other people. I cannot walk in the light alone. I need to do this together with other people that are walking in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We cannot live on I land, isolated from everybody else, because when we live on I land, we're surrounded by all of our selfish, and so we need other people to get us off of I land. So penetrating relationships, what's that saying? I'm going to gather a few people around me. I'm going to unzip my life and show them the darkness in there. And once I unzip it, I'm exposing it to the light. And I'm, I'm, I'm enlisting people. I'm, I'm becoming transparent and vulnerable and accountable because I need other people. I need the fellowship of other people where I'm known and loved and cared for and encouraged. And in turn, I'm going to do that with other people penetrating relationships. Have you noticed these get a little harder as we go down the list? This this is hard stuff because now we're stripping off the mask of hypocrisy and we're, we're risking someone rejecting us when they see us for who we really are. But if you talk to the people in this church that made huge spiritual progress in the last year, do you know one of the first things that they will tell you? They will say, I joined a small group. And people started challenging me and encouraging me and praying for me. And I'm experiencing a walk with God unlike anything I've ever known. They text me and they call me and they write me notes of encouragement. Penetrating relationships. Here's the fourth thing. Predetermined giving. Did I mention these get harder as we go through? Predetermined giving. Look at what Acts chapter 20 verse 35 says. This is known as the lost beatitude. It was, it was never lost. It was there all the time. But because it's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we wouldn't expect to see a quote from Jesus in the book of Acts. But this is what it says. In all things I have shown you that by working hard, pressing, straining, reaching, working hard in this way, we must help the weak remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give 
than receive. How many of you, like me, you've gotten a little older, and Christmas just really is not about getting gifts anymore? People say, what do you want for Christmas? I don't care on anything. But you love the joy of giving and watching someone else rip into what you gave them and enjoy the gift. That means two things. Number one, you're old (laughs) because kids are not like that at all, right? Number two, you've embraced the understanding of what this verse means. You are more blessed when you give. Do you want to be blessed? And you know what's interesting? Jesus doesn't put a qualifier on this at all, ever. He doesn't ever say, if you give $1,000, then you'll be more blessed. If you give a new car, you'll be more blessed. He just says give. It's just an attitude of of the, the flow of God gives to me and I release it to someone else. God gives to me and I release it to somebody else. And it's a predetermined choice. That's why it's a discipline. And what you're saying is, I'm going to trust God for things I previously trusted my money for. You see, money lies to you and says that it can do things for you that only God can do. Money says, I will give you happiness, I will give you security, I will give you significance. Those are things only God can give. So the greatest competition God has for your heart is not the devil. The greatest competition God has for your heart is your money. And do you understand that God does not need or want your money? God doesn't need your money. You bring all your money, God's not impressed. God's got plenty. But what he wants is you. And he wants you to learn to trust him and experience the confidence that comes from trusting the only thing that can bring true security. And so we give, and, and there's a pattern, there's a, there's a disciplined pattern. We pay God first. God gives, we set aside a percentage of that and say, that's not mine. That goes right back out to ministry. That goes right back out to God. And the biblical pattern is, is 10%, a tithe. But you may look at a tithe and say, ah, it's legalistic to tithe, I'm not going to tithe. Fine, you can give 12%, 20%, 30%, or 5% or 10 It doesn't matter. Just a predetermined amount that says, I'm not going to save that. I'm not going to spend that. I'm going to give that. And now, whatever's left over, I'm going to save and spend on me. Leftovers are never for the honored guest. You have leftovers in your refrigerator after Christmas and Thanksgiving? Leftovers are for who? Leftovers are for us, right? You don't give God leftovers. After you've spent everything you want to spend, everything you've saved, you want to save, then if there's anything left, we'll give it to God. Predetermined giving says, God gets paid first, I can live on the rest. That's discipline, right? And here's the last thing. Personal ministry. 1 Peter 4.10 As each man has received a gift, and you have received a gift... Use it. Don't sit on it. Don't pray about it. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. This is probably the greatest accelerant to spiritual growth in our church. 
And the people that have stepped into this, I see people flying around here on Sundays and all through the week serving in a personal ministry role. And if you ask them, like, how did you get involved in that? that they will tell you something like this. I hear it all the time. I was scared to death. I felt so unqualified. I felt so ill-equipped and so undertrained. And I've never had to depend upon God for anything more in my life than to do this. But I've experienced the joy of watching God work through me in ways that I never would have if I just came and sat in a chair every week. Everybody needs a place of personal ministry. And if you're not stepping into personal ministry, I doubt that you've experienced much growth because this will challenge your faith like nothing else. You'll have to depend upon God because you understand that if it's up to you, it's going to be a disaster. So we got to reach out and trust the Lord. So here's the five things. Practical Bible application, private prayer, penetrating relationships, predetermined giving, and personal ministry. How many of those things did you do last year? Are you surprised at the growth or the lack of growth based upon the disciplines? So here's my challenge to you this year. Wherever you find yourself, forget what lies behind. Straining forward to what lies ahead. Press on enough to embrace these disciplines and you will be shocked a year from now at the growth that God will give you. That's what we want. We want that blessing. Can I just remind you that all of the gospel is about fresh starts and new beginnings. It's what the new year is about, a fresh start and a new beginning. So no matter what you've done, no matter how bad it was last year, no matter how bad you were last year, Jesus offers a fresh start and a new beginning because of his work on the cross, atoning for sin, You can come to him no matter how messed up and wrecked your life is. What's the one impossible thing that if you were to trust him for, he would do this year? What do we trust God for? Maybe it's to start giving, trusting. Maybe it's to start serving. Maybe it's simply to get up an extra 15 minutes in the morning, spend time with God, before you check your Facebook status. Whatever it is, why don't you tell him that right now? Practical Bible application, private prayer, penetrating relationships, predetermined giving, personal ministry. Well, I don't know about you, but hearing that list of spiritual disciplines helps me realize that yes, there's a lot of room for growth in my own life. And yes, this new year is a great time to set goals and work toward keeping the one thing, thing one. Trent Griffith has been helping us do what the Apostle Paul said he did in Philippians chapter three. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what are some practical ways you're planning to strain forward and press toward the goal in your 2018? My recording engineer, Phil, tells me he wants to be more consistent at reading God's Word every morning. 
he's planning to use a Bible reading plan to read through the Bible in 2018. How about you? Did anything on Trent's list stand out to you? We'd love to hear about your goals and resolutions for 2018. Just go to harvestgranger.org slash resonate to share those with us. And you're more than welcome to visit Harvest Bible Chapel for a worship service. We have a campus in St. Joseph and one in Granger. For service times and locations, just visit our website, harvestgranger.org. It would be great if you could come. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word would resonate in your heart and mind as you press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.